Amen. Let's worship God together. Jesus, we thank you, Lord, for the privilege to be in your house. Thank you, Lord, that we can be here to, together today. We ask you to bless the word to our hearts and lives. Bless each and every one that's here, Lord. We praise and worship and glorify you in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. God bless you, and you may be seated. Praise God. And uh, I'm going to take my time sitting down. My back's been bothering me a little this week, but so what? All that goes with the territory. Isn't it? <laughs> I'm going to pass out our uh, handouts for today. Now, on that handout, it will be dated for last week. Last week, as you know, this terrible hurricane came through. <laughs> so we, we didn't know what it was going to do, and nobody knew what it was going to do. And it went up north and did a lot of damage. So thank God, God spared us down here in Florida. Can you say praise the Lord? He did. And uh, so the date on your handouts here is dated for last week, but it's the one we're using for today. And it's to do with the continuation of the book of Revelation. So if you have your Bibles and would like to turn with us there to uh, what you're looking at in your hand, I'll put a copy of that on the screen up here. I've got some interesting things to talk to you about here today. And uh, let me put this up here. This is what you have in your hand. This is what you're getting. That's the handout. And I'll be putting other things probably on top of that as we go along here. But I want you to look with me here just for a quick review, very quick review here, chapter 8. Not a quick review. We'll be in chapter 8 for a little bit. But in the first uh, three or four verses here, the first four verses, I think it is, uh, it talks about, and we talked about this last week, and I talked about the golden censer and the prayers of the saints. We talked about how the, it describes here in chapter 8, verses 1 down through verse 4, how that an angel came and uh, the seven trumpets prepared to blow. And the trumpets, and before that the seals, seven seals and then seven trumpets, uh, they were judgments of God that, was un, that will be unleashed on the earth. And I'm going to talk to you a little bit about some of these things here in a few minutes. But uh, one of them says that the angel took the censer and took it, put fire in it, and threw it upon the earth and brought devastation upon the earth. And uh, it said it was the prayers of the saints. Now, last week, is there a, is there a hum? Everybody can hear okay? Okay, all right. Uh, last week, there was, uh, we also mentioned to you, not last week, week before last we also mentioned to you in chapter 5, verse 8, 5 and 8, where that there were prayers of the saints. Let me turn over here and read it to you. And it says this, And when he had taken the book out of the four beasts and the four, 20 elders fell down before the Lamb, having every one of them harps and golden vials full of odors, which are the prayers of saints. Now the prayers of the saints here is speaking of those, praise the Lord, in which we pray, in which we worship God. Uh, pray, worship God, glorify Him. That's the greatest thing we can do to glorify the name of the Lord, worship the Lord. 
Don't let Satan ever take that away from you. But be very mindful to worship and praise God and glorify him. That's why church is so important. And even at home, take time. If you don't do anything else, but just sit and talk to God. Tell him everything you can, how much you love him and appreciate him and praise him for everything. But over here in chapter 8, whenever it talks about this angel taking the, uh, the golden censer and so forth, and he filled it with much incense and fire and so forth, and he threw it upon the earth, and then there was a series of judgments that followed. This is the prayers of the saints whenever we are persecuted. This is the prayers of the saints when you're going through trials, we're going through tests, we have been abused, we have been misused, we have been wronged, uh, we've been violated, all kinds of things that can happen to saints, and we pray and seek the face of the Lord. Now, Jesus said, and the Bible says in the Old Testament, vengeance is mine, saith the Lord. So it's instructed unto us that we do not take vengeance ourselves. Somebody does something to us, and I'll get even with him, you know. One fellow said one time, I never get mad, I just get even, you know. <laughs> well, we're not to get even. We are to leave some things in the hands of God, and that's a hard thing to do sometimes, but that's what God has commanded us to do it. But one day, all those prayers will be answered as well. God was in judgment upon the earth for all the prayers that we prayed. Don't you know that people who went through persecutions, there were 10 persecutions in the early church age, 10 of them, under 10 different emperors in the Roman Empire. And uh, many of them, many of them were killed. Many of them were, you know, uh, just, you know, and then later on, even from the Catholic Church, the Protestant movement and so forth, many of them were, were killed or whatever, you know. Don't you know there's a lot of prayers that went up to God. God, I don't understand why I've got to go through this, but I'm going through it. But all those prayers will be answered here whenever he throws that in. And that's what it says here in these first few verses. Now, when that happens, I want you to look at verse 6. I'm going to go into verse 6 here. And, uh, and I'm going to read this. And it says, The seven angels which had the seven trumpets prepared themselves to sound. Now, when this happens, this is where the judgments begin to happen. Everybody stay with me. Now, look on your chart, if you will. What I've just done is to just review very quickly here, 1 through 6. Now, we're going to Revelations chapter uh, 8 here, 7 through 12. A series of judgments on the earth. One third of everything is affected. And uh, I have a, a chart here that talks about it a little bit. I'll show it up there. I'll give, I'll come back to that in a minute. But I want you to look very closely here with me uh, at this verse seven. The first angel sounded and there was followed hail, fire, mingled with blood. They were cast upon the earth and the third part of trees was burned up and all green grass was burned up. Everybody see that? That's everything that's green on the earth. One third. Look at verse eight. The second angel sounded and as it were a great mountain burning with fire was cast into the sea and the third part of the sea became blood and the third parts of the creatures which were in the sea and had life died and the third part of ships were destroyed. Notice that. Now look at verse 10. Notice here one is the earth and the green things on it. The second one is the, uh, is the sea itself. 
the, the 10th verse says, and the third angel sounded, and there fell a great star from heaven, burning as it were a lamp, and it fell up upon the third part of the rivers and upon the fountains of waters. This is the fresh waters that are affected now. The sea, which is salt water, now fresh waters. And the name of the star is called wormwood, which means bitter and also poisonous. And the third part of the waters became wormwood, and many men died of the waters because they were made bitter or poisonous. And so here you're talking about uh, how that all these things. And then the 12th verse says, and the fourth angel sounded, and a third part of the sun was smitten, and the third part of the moon, and the third part of stars. So as the third part of them was darkened, and the day shone not for a third part of it, and the night likewise. And of course, this is also recorded over in the book of Jeremiah. It's also recorded this event here. Is also recorded over in, in Isaiah, about three different places and so forth. Now, I want to talk to you here from my heart. Why did God send judgment on all of these things? The trees, the, the ocean, the creatures in the oceans, the fresh waters, uh, the animals. Why, why did God even affect them? What's, what's that got to do with anything? If this is the judgment against man. Why did God sit it upon them? And I'm going to tell you why, and I'm going to talk to you about some things here. It's because men have worshipped them. Worshipped them. God is attacking what they worship. And men have chosen to worship. The Bible says that God's chosen to worship the creature more than the creator. The creature more than the creator. These people who want to save the whales, but they're not interested in saving babies. You know, people who want to save the seals. They want to save penguins. They want to save, 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 save all this nature stuff. They want to save and preserve it because they feel like that that's what we are. They call the earth, mother earth, mother earth. It's not mother earth, it's father God. God is over everything, praise God. And he is the one we are to worship and honor and praise. And God is due all our praise. Nothing on this earth are we to put above him and regard higher than him because this is the way that the world looks at things. I want you to look at that Romans one twenty five for just a moment. Uh, let me read that verse to you. Who changed the truth. Let's talk about mankind now, men, when they fell away from God who changed the truth of God into a lie and worshiped and served the creature more than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. And so God is attacking the objects of worship. For instance, the Egyptians used to worship the Nile river in a fashion because that was their lifeline to everything, the Nile river. So when Moses left, he was going to bring the children of Israel out. They turned the river into blood. They worship frogs. They did. They worship the frogs. And then, of course, God turned the frogs, made so many of them. They were in everybody's bed and they were on their tables when they ate. It was so many frogs that they got sick and disgusted with frogs. And I'm just saying that there's all of these kind of things that the Egyptians would worship and the Lord attacked them so that they could understand this is not what we're to worship. There's got to be a higher power than all of that. I'm reading here in Romans, again, I'm still in Romans for just a moment, in this uh, first chapter of Romans, 
and I'm looking here, verse 18, Romans 1:18. for the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who hold truth in unrighteousness. And it goes on to say, verse 19, because that which may be known of God is manifest in them, for God has showed it unto them. God showed it unto man, his truth. Yeah, way back there. How? Verse 20. For the invisible things of him, that's the spiritual things, from the creation of the world are clearly seen. How? Being understood by the things that are made. Even his eternal power and Godhead so that they are without excuse. So that they can look around and see everything made and said, some great God made all of this. And when they would seek the face of God, God would reveal himself to them. Praise God. Now, I'm just pointing out some things to you here about how that God sent these judgments upon uh, the world here to show man, this is not your objects of worship, but there's a higher God than all of that. Praise God. I, uh, I remember when my wife and I were young people and we were evangelizing and uh, we were up in uh, Indiana we evangelized for, we're up in Indiana, did also assistant pastor up there for a couple of years in both Lafayette, Indiana, and South Bend. When we were in Lafayette, my wife worked at Purdue University, Purdue for Dr. Quackenbush there. And at Purdue University, there was a woman who came there one time to give a lecture. This is where I became familiar with her. Also saw where she went to the Indiana University. She'd also been to Minnesota University when I was in college up there. And all of these things, this woman's name was Margaret Mead. Margaret Mead was, uh, was a uh, anthropologist. And she had gone this, to the Samoan Islands in the South Pacific to study the people there. Now listen closely to what I'm said. When we knew her, she was, or knew her, when we knew that she came and lectured at these big universities all over America, she was probably in her 50s or early 60s or somewhere in that age bracket. I don't know where. Exactly, but but when she was a young woman and had gotten out of college, she had a college professor who told her, if you go to places where that they have never heard what is called the gospel, these people living just living on themselves, they will be happier. They will not have bondages hanging on them like you can't do this, you can't do that, you can't do such and such, and so forth. They'll be happy people. So she went to the Samoan Islands. She studied the Samoan people. Stayed there for three, two or three years. I don't know how many years it was. It wasn't long. Came back and announced that if there is no gospel preached, if there is no right and wrong declared, if there is nothing about God, people are much happier. They can do what they want to do, and they're much happier people. And she went around all of these universities teaching and talking that. Getting married and committing yourself to one, you know, without ever having sex outside of marriage. Oh, she said, there's nothing wrong with that. Or having to get married and make a bond, you know, and raise your family within the marriage structure. She was teaching all these kind of things and no family and everything caused many, many of our young people to begin to say, let's just live together. And it caused a lot of stuff in, in America that happened and everything. Years later, there was an anthropologist from England, young man who went to the same Samoan Islands and he did a study over there and he came back and he was livid. He said, she lied to us. 
She lied. They're, they're, it's not like that. They, they have the highest suicide rate of anyone else. It's true, they didn't know what was right and wrong, but they were angry, they got mad, they, 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 uh, they, they, they tried to have uh, sex outside of marriage, they had fought, they carried on. And he said, it was a horrible, terrible situation. It wasn't an ideal paradise like she was trying to describe it to be. He said she was totally wrong. Now, a few publications came out with that story, but a lot of them put the lid on it because they didn't want all that word out that would dampen her. She died shortly after that, but she lived long enough to know that somebody had caught out. But he said she flat out lied. She flat out lied. Now, I have here a human manifesto, one and two, just a short paper here. And this was written in 1933, two years before I was born, in fact. And there was, I think, uh, something like uh, 295 people who signed this. And these were prominent people, educators and so forth in America at that time. I want you to read what they had to say here. And this is what's happening still in the world today, folks. This is why God is going to judge the elements because men feel like they don't need God. God is in the way. Do things yourself. Make your own decisions. Do everything the way you want to do them. Everybody still with me? This is that attitude. It says here, as a 1933 humanist still believe that traditional theism, that's the belief in God, especially faith in the prayer hearing God, assumed to love and care for persons, to hear and understand their prayers, and to be able to do something about them is an unproven and outmoded faith. This is their statement now. This is what they're saying. It's not what I'm saying. It's what they're saying. It's outmoded faith. Salvationism based on mere affirmation still appears as harmful, diverting people with false hopes of heaven hereafter. Re reasonable minds look to other means for survival. Notice that. It's what they're saying. We therefore affirm the following. We believe that traditional dogmatic or authoritarian religions that place revelation, God, ritual, or creed, rituals like foot washing, communion, stuff like that, above human needs and experience do a disservice to the human species. Traditional religions often uh, offer solace to humans, but as often they exhibit humans uh, from helping themselves or experiencing their full potentialities. Such institutions, creeds, and rituals <clears throat> often impede the will to serve others. Too often traditional faiths encourage dependence rather than independence, obedience rather than affirmation. Now I'm going to read something else here to you in just a moment. But we, uh, as it goes on to say here, humans are responsible for what we are or will become. No deity will save us. We must save ourselves. Promises of immortal salvation or fear of eternal damnation are harmful. Now, I'm just reading excerpts here. I want to read these for you. We find insufficient evidence for belief in the existence of a supernatural. As non-theists, non that means they don't believe in God, we begin with humans, not God. Nature, not deity. 
Humanists regard the universe as self-existing and not created. Everybody stay with me. <clears throat> this is what the human is saying. Now listen to this. We affirm that moral values derive their source from human experience. Ethics is autonomous. That means they function independently of God or anybody else. Nobody tells you what to do. Ethics. Whatever is right is however you view it to be right. You get that? And listen to this. And situational. Ethics is autonomous and situational. <clears throat> Needing no theological or ideological sanctions. Ethics stems from human need and interest. So they do not believe that there is right or wrong to anything. It's all situational. In other words, it, 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 the statement that had followed up behind that is the end justifies the means. It doesn't no matter what you do, whether it's right or wrong, forget right and wrong. Whatever you do is okay if you deem it to be right. And if the end results justifies what you did was right. You understand what I'm saying? The end justifies the means. Folks, that's exactly, listen, this was written in, in 1933. This was written in 1933. People believe that all over the world. Hitler and Nazism believe that. Did you know that? That was their theory. The Jews were bad for the world. So we need to get rid of the Jews. Oh, that's a horrible thing. No, it's not. The end justifies the means. If we get rid of all the Jews, the world will be a better place to live. Therefore, let's get rid of all the Jews. The end justifies the means. You understand what I'm saying? <clears throat> if you do something terrible and the end results is going to be good in your eyes, they're going to be okay. It's all right to do that because that's ethical situations. That's your situations. That's your ethics. So I'm just pointing out to you the horror of this. This is in 1933, World War II followed and they estimate, they know about 55 million people died in World War II up to, they believe as high as 80 million people died in World War II. It's a horrible thing that followed. World War I was even before that. And then it doesn't even talk about the communism trying to take over the world and all the people that died following that period of time. All because people said, oh, well, if we believe that everything's going to be okay by doing it our way, it's all okay. Otherwise, how could you go declare war and start killing people and so forth? Do you understand what I'm trying to say here? There's got to be an understanding that God is on the throne. So when we're in the book of Revelation here and we're looking here at these judgments of God that begin to fall on the earth in chapter eight, yeah, the Lord says he is saying all of these things that man has worshiped and things that they have created there. Let me read one more little paragraph to you out of this. It's not through. So stand the thesis of religious humanism. Though we consider the religions, religious forms and idea, ideas of our fathers no longer adequate, the quest for good life is still the central task for mankind. Yeah, right. World War II followed. Man is at least becoming aware that he alone is responsible for the realization of the world of his dreams, that he is within himself the power, has within himself the power for its achievement. He must set intelligence and will to the task. And what a, what a pathetic and all those people that signed this thing are all dead now, of course. Amen. Now, I'm only saying all of that because you say, why did the Lord send judgment upon 
the natural things upon the sea, upon the river, the forest. Because God made them. He's the God of God. He God and man can worship them. He can adore them. He can lift them up. And he said, everything is man and the species of man. And we're to protect the earth. And folks, that stuff still goes on today. Just like I mentioned a while ago, they'll save the whales and save the seals, but they, they won't save babies, you know, from being aborted. I'm just pointing out to you here how that men can get off into all their own thoughts and their own imaginations. And that's what this eighth chapter is all about. Why did God send judgment on all these things? Like the sun, moon, and stars, why did it affect them and make them dark? One third of all, for one third of the, of the world is dark. Because men worship the sun. Men worship the moon. Men worship stars. They still do that stuff. And uh, so anyhow, this is letting us know that there is one great mighty God of heaven and earth. And if we know him, folks, and God has been so precious and good to us. He, he brought it to Israel, but Israel rejected it. Jesus Christ. They rejected that truth through Jesus Christ. And we Gentiles who love Jesus and accepted Jesus and believe in him and his word, he has given us eternal life. Not only has he blessed us in this life, but he has given us eternal life to come. And one day he's going to sound the trumpet. Praise the Lord. Amen. Trumpet will sound the dead in Christ shall rise first. And we, would, and we have that hope. We have that hope. What if you believed in just the human race and all of a sudden it comes time now to go? You say, well, it's all over with. Anything I've ever said or done means nothing. You know, just think about that. You know, when you come to the end of it, there's nothing else. The atheistic theory is, to me, is weird anyhow, because they said how this all happened. Well, it came about by the Big Bang theory. The Big Bang, what banged? What was the big, what was it that banged? You know, that's a sound. You know, where was those, was there ears around to hear the bang? No, but that was a big bang. What banged? Oh, that was something that just blew up. What blew up? What was the object? You know, the, all these things, something banged and scattered all over the universe. All these planets and all these stars and everything, and they were all scattered. Well, what was the big object that blew up? Who put that there? How did anything come into existence? And this is what Abraham realized when he was a young man in the city of Ur, so Jewish history says, and Josephus in particular. And he says that when he began to study these things, he said, there has to be one God who is over everything that controls everything because everything works in harmony. Everything, the stars, the moon, the sun, everything works in harmony. And it all, folks, works for the benefit and the welfare of man. man. The air we breathe is perfect for us. The food we eat comes out of the ground from this earth. The water we drink is from this earth. Everything is made for mankind because God made it. We're not to worship those things. We're to worship God Almighty who gave it all. Let's just lift our hands and worship God right now. Lord, we love you. We thank you. We magnify your wonderful name. Thank you, Lord, for the, your word. Thank you for truth. Thank you for salvation. Thank you for loving us. Thank you for your grace, your grace, God. Thank you for the mercies of God upon us, Lord. Thank you for reaching out to us Gentiles, Lord, and giving us salvation, each and every one of us, to our families, our homes, our people. Praise God. Hallelujah. Sometimes I think, Lord, you were so good to bring the salvation to my people back there. You know, my grandmother was the first one to 
you know, get saved and, uh, and everything. And it, it's just a wonderful thing to know that God had mercy upon us. And all of us can tell a story like that. I won't go into detail on it. I'm going to move on here. But I want you to go, if you would, to the, uh, to the next part of that. I want you to look down in uh, Revelation 8.13. This is the last verse in that chapter. And it says, And I beheld and heard an angel flying through the midst of heaven, saying with a loud voice, Woe, woe, woe to the inhabitants of the earth by reason of the other voices uh, of the trumpet of the three angels which are yet to sound. Now, there were seven trumpets that are to sound. The first four was, is what we just went through here. Each one of these trumpets sounded, and this one-third thing happened. This is in chapter 8. In chapter 16, these same things happen again, but it's not just one-third. It's all of the heavens. All the heavens are affected. All of the waters are affected. All the trees are affected. All the sea is affected, and so forth, in chapter 16. We won't get into that today, but I want you to look here in this last verse. But it says, the last three trumpets to sound is not against the things on the earth, but it's against the human race itself. All right, everybody ready with me? And we're going here into chapter 9 then, chapter 9. And uh, this is A here on, on your, chapter 9 is the locust that will come forth, the locust. Uh, if you would, look with, I'm going to read this verse. The fifth angel sounded and I saw a star fall from heaven upon the earth. And to him was given a key to, to the, the bottomless pit. And he opened the bottomless pit and there rose a smoke out of the pit as the smoke of a great furnace and the sun and the air were darkened by reason of the smoke of the pit. <clears throat> and there came out of the smoke locusts. Now listen to the description of this locusts upon the earth. And unto them was given power as the scorpions of the earth over have power. And, and it goes on to say here in the fourth verse that they were to uh, bring uh, suffering to mankind and it was commanded them that they should not hurt the grass of the earth, neither in a green thing, neither in the trees, but only those men which have not the seal of God in their foreheads. Remember that in chapter 7, when God had that seal put in their foreheads. The 144,000, and I mentioned to you, that's not the Jehovah Witnesses, those are Jews. And he names 12, tri 12 out of each of the 12 tribes of Israel, names it there, it says of, of Israel. And so forth. And so they are not to hurt it because God is preparing the world at this point for the restoration of Israel, bringing Israel back into his favor. They're not back in his favor yet. Uh, let me just say this, folks. The Jews are God's ancient people. They're also God's time clock. God's time clock. And what happens with Jews, we can watch them to know how close we are to the coming of the Lord. The Bible, for instance, says that Israel should be blinded for two days, and the third day I'll raise her up. Two days, a day with the Lord is a thousand years, a thousand years, one day. Uh, they rejected Christ 2,000 years ago. We're coming close. We're coming to the end of that period of time. We're right here at it. And so by the Jews looking, looking at that, they're the time clock. We can tell that it's time for the coming of the Lord to come back for his church. That the church is made up of Jews or Gentiles, anybody, anybody can be saved. So, but it's open to everybody, not just to the Jews, but the Jews rejected him. Therefore, now he is going to turn back. He turned to the Gentiles, but he's going to turn back to the Jews in this 11th chapter. In the 10th chapter, 
is all about him getting ready to turn back to them, called the restoration of Israel. And I have a lot to say about that when we get to it in the next few weeks. But I want you to look here, if you would please, about these locusts. Uh, look at chapter, verse 7 here. I'm looking at 9-7. The shapes of the locusts were like horses prepared unto battle. Wow. Wait a minute. Locusts are little grasshopper-looking things. Then they're shaped like horses prepared unto battle. Uh, and on their heads were, as it were, crowns of gold, and their faces were as the faces of men, and they had hair as the hair of women. Wow, man. And their teeth were as the teeth of lions. Man, this don't sound like bugs. They had breastplates as it were, breastplates of iron. What? And the sound of their wings was as the sound of chariots, of many horses running to battle. I don't know what that sounds like, but it sounds pretty rough. <clears throat> and they had tails like unto scorpions, and there were stings in their tails, and their power was to hurt men, men five months. Now, I don't know what this is, but this could be very much, it could be what John saw and he describes how it looked to him. But it could be a modern warfare of some type. These could be helicopters. If you was in John's day and you saw helicopters flying and hundreds and thousands of them flying into a war with shooting bullets out, how would you describe it? I'm just giving you an over. Or let's go a little bit further. Excuse me. <coughs> What about drones? What about drones that are being manufactured and made for warfare today? I, I don't even know how they would look. I don't even know how they would sound. I don't know how they would be. I have read in, in, in uh, reliable sources, I've read that Russia has a, uh, an army now, a, ro a robotic army. There's, there's no people in the army, it's robotic control. Russia has a robotic army. They have a regiment of soldiers that's robotic. China is working on that, so I have read. This is, comes out of Kiplinger report out of Washington, D.C., and I mentioned that before, too. And they said they, these things are existing. These are things that we don't even know about that's already in the making, folks. So what, what I'm saying here is that what you're reading here may be, may be something man-made or man- but with John, what he saw, he described it as he sees it, what it looked like to him, and, and he just uh, described it the way it was. And so if we think of it as a modern implement of war, perhaps that's what it is, you know. So I'm just going to leave it there where it is, because I don't know what it is. It could, have, it could be uh, a physical description of something spiritual or, or something rather real. I have no idea. It comes out of this bottomless pit. I don't know what that even represents here. I know that in the end time over here toward the end of the book of Revelation, the devil is cast into the bottomless pit and sealed for a thousand years. I know that. So uh, we won't get into that. But I'm just pointing out to you here about these locusts. Now look at verse 13. And the six angels sounded. Six angels sounded. One woe is past. Verse 12 says, Behold, there's two woes more hereafter. These are judgments against mankind. Look at verse 13. Verse 13. And the sixth angel sounded, and I heard a voice from the four horns of the golden altar, which is before God, saying to the sixth angel, which had the trumpet, Loose the four angels, which are bound in the great river Euphrates. 
loose the four angels bound in the great rivers of Euphrates. Now, let me show you what the book of, this is a map here of uh, the Middle East. Some of you may not even understand what it's all about. This is Israel right over here. This is Israel. Jordan River, uh, Jordan River, Sea of Galilee, Jordan River, Dead Sea. This is Jerusalem right here. This is Egypt over in here. This is the Nile River, the Persian Gulf, Persian Gulf, and then there's the Suez Canal right in through the Nile River and all that stuff. This is Turkey up in here. This is Jordan. You can't tell that right here. But in the olden days, this was called Mesopotamia. This is the Euphrates River. See it? It flows right down here through the Middle East. This is the Nile River. They flow close together and they flow into the Persian Gulf here. Uh, this is the Red Sea. I call that the Persian Gulf. This is the Persian Gulf and, and so forth. This is Ur, where Abraham was from. This is Mount Ararat, where Noah's Ark sat down upon. And all the people left there and traveled down in here, and they all settled in this valley area right down in here. This became Assyria. This became Babylon. This is Nineveh, capital. And this is Babylon. These two here were sort of together at one time, then they became enemies of each other. Now, I'm going to put this up here so that you can see the same map. Only the red lines tell you what countries they are today. Everybody with me? Can you see the red lines? For instance, the red lines here, this is Iraq. So both the Jordan River, I'm sorry, the uh, Euphrates River, the Tigris River, both are in Iraq. Assyria is northern Iraq and Babylon is down here in the southern. Here's Babylon, the Babylonia. This is in southern Iraq. Now here's Syria. This is Syria. This is Turkey. This is uh, Iran as it is today. This is Israel over Jordan, Saudi Arabia, Egypt, and so forth. I just gave you that so that you get a perspective here of what the Euphrates River is. Now, this was where polytheism began. Polytheism. I want you to look over here in the book of, uh, of uh, I think it's in uh, Jeremiah. Jeremiah wrote a condemnation against Babylon. Way over there, chapters 50 and 51. And I won't go into detail, but if you ever want to take a time to read chapters 50 and 51, he describes God's pronounced judgment against Babylon. Pronounced judgment against Babylon because Babylon had gone in, destroyed Israel and destroyed the temple and, and everything else. And at the end of that, here's what he says here in verse 24 of, of, of Jeremiah 50, 51, 24. And I will render unto Babylon all to the heavens of the Chaldeans, all their evil that they have done in Zion in your sight. I'm sorry, I'm in the, I'm in the wrong spot, I'm sorry. I'm looking at verse 60 here in chapter 52, 60. So Jeremiah wrote in a book, all the evil that should come upon Babylon, even all those words that are written against Babylon. Jeremiah said to Sariah, he was the high priest, when thou comest to Babylon and shalt see and shalt read all these words, then shalt thou say, O Lord, thou hast spoken against this place to cut it off 
that none shall remain in it, neither man nor beast, but that it shall be desolate forever. And it shall be when thou hast made an end of reading this book, that thou shalt bind a stone to it and cast it into the midst of Euphrates. And thou shalt say, thus shall Babylon sink and shall not rise from the evil that I will bring upon her and they shall be weary. Thus far are the words of Jeremiah. And, I, and ironically, ironically over here in Revelations chapter 17, verse 5, it talks about the harlot woman, the harlot, the great harlot. And it says here that upon her forehead was a name written, Mystery Babylon, the great, the mother of harlots and abominations of the earth. And I saw the woman drunken with the blood of the saints and with the blood of martyrs of Jesus. Now, I'm just pointing out to you here is that this Babylon is, of course, polytheism. It's a worship of many gods, not worshiping the one true and living God. I won't go any further into that, only to say, because my time is, is just about gone here. Uh, I'm only to say here that there is going to be a great uh, catastrophe here that will happen. Now, look what happens here whenever these, these demons are loosed out of the river Euphrates. <clears throat> I'll read 14 again, saying to the, I'm in Revelations chapter 9, 14, saying to the six angels which are, which had the trumpet loose, the four angels which are bound in the great river Euphrates. Then the four angels were loose, which were prepared for an hour and a day and a month and a year for to slay the third part of men. Now remember, there's already been half the world, I mean a quarter of the world has been destroyed. So there's three quarters left. And now you're you have a third of the three quarters that will be slain. So after this verse here, the 15, and over in verse 18, it tells about it. Verse 18, there's only half of the world population left as it was before the rapture took place, when the rapture took place. And so it goes on to say here, and I'll read verse, uh, verse 16. And the number of the army of the horsemen were 200,000 thousand. That's 200 million, 200 million. That's a huge army of warfare that goes on. Look at verse 18. By these three, what it goes on to say there were killed by, let me read 17. Thus I saw the horse in the vision and them that sat on them having breastplates of fire and jasmine and brimstone and the heads of the horses were as the heads of lions and out of their mouths issued fire and smoke. And this might've been tanks or something of this nature and brimstone. By these three were the third part of men killed by the fire, by the smoke, poisonous gas it could be, and by brimstone, shells fired from big guns, which issued out of their mouths. And then it goes on to say in verse 20, and the rest of the men which were not killed by these plagues yet repented not of their works in their hands. Oh, aren't you glad you know the Lord? Amen. Folks, I'm telling you, a lot of terrible things are coming on the earth, but I'm glad I know God now. We don't study those things just to talk about the horrors of them, but we study them so that we know what will come on the earth and that if you want to be saved, all you got to do is repent of your sins, be baptized in Jesus' name, and be filled with the Holy Ghost. And that's what worship is all about. That's what our service is all about. That's what preaching is all about. Amen. It's to help people find the Lord. If you have never been baptized and you're in this audience this morning, get baptized in Jesus' name. Wash away your sins. If you do not have the baptism of the Holy Ghost, Holy Spirit, whatever word you want to use, 
God will give that to you. He's promised it to you. Praise God. Let's all stand together, give God the praise and glory. And let's just thank him right now for his greatness and his goodness to us for all things. Praise God. Would you lift your hands and let's worship God. Jesus, we praise you. We love you. We glorify your wonderful name, God. We love you so much. You're so good to us. Bless this congregation and bless the services that are coming up. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.